welcome to another episode of Where's My Freaking Dressing Room, a very special episode indeed. We are a podcast discussing the world of opera and what things are really like backstage. My name is Helen. And my name is Alex and welcome to our first ever live episode. Uh, thank you so much to Opera Prelude for inviting us to be part of their professional development day. Today we're going to talk about four distinct themes. We're going to start off by discussing some of the controversies surrounding today's event in terms of diversity and inclusion. And then we're going to move on to the main theme of our episode, which is mental health in the opera industry. We'd like to talk about mental health in three distinct situations, auditions, concerts and social settings. We're going to share some of our experiences with our mental health in those situations, but we're also going to offer some tips and strategies as to how we've learned to manage our mental health in those contexts. So um, we're thrilled to be here and to be part of this event. I think days like this have so much potential. We've got talks about vocal technique, about uh, audition tip panels, about networking. There's so, so much going on. But of course, it didn't escape our attention that this event was surrounded in some controversy in terms of the diversity of the conference panel. A number of people actually got in touch with us here on the podcast sharing their frustration. And I mean, facts of facts, at the time that the panel was announced, it was all white. And we obviously completely understand the optics of the situation. It really didn't look good. Uh, but we do ask everyone to consider the whole situation. Um, following conversations that we had with the event organisers, they explained to us that they really had made every effort to curate a diverse panel, um, but due to a variety of reasons, whether it be unavailability, diary clashes, or simply no reply, things just weren't quite working out as they had planned. Um, and so I guess the question is, should they have cancelled this event in its entirety if they were unable to curate a fully diverse panel? I think there are arguments for both sides, but I suppose here on the podcast, we saw this as an opportunity to potentially raise a broader point and therefore have a bigger conversation. Because at the end of the day, the classical music, the opera industry, is one of the least diverse industries in the world. And we have such a huge amount of work to do in order to create equality. I think representation is absolutely one of the ways in which we can do that, but also conversation. Conversation leading to action. And I think the fact that we're sitting here raising this issue, discussing this issue and thinking about this issue, that's really important. And I think if anybody here didn't consider diversity as a pertinent issue in our industry, you know, before you came in the room, I really hope we can change your mind before you leave. Following the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, we on the podcast here released a research episode where we looked at whether opera companies had been affected by the movement and whether they were looking to make significant change. A number of companies did make a concerted commitment to diversifying their workforces like going forward, and I think the effect of that really has been plain to see. Initially here on the pod, uh, we were focused on diversity of casting yeah. and what we were seeing on stage. Um, however, this issue which has surrounded this conference has really made us think about how diverse, yeah. if at all, are the companies behind the stage. Uh, the organisations which run these prestigious stages, what kind of diversity do they bring to the table? Um, we really hope that this day of discussion, idea sharing and networking might 
have the opportunity to act as a call to action mm -hmm. for opera companies. Um, if it was that difficult for Opera Prelude to curate a diverse conference panel, does that surely not speak of a wider issue that needs to be addressed in our industry? Uh, music masters have built a diversity audit tool called I'm In. Uh, this allows organizations working in music to evaluate how and where diversity and inclusion is considered within their practices yeah. and to identify where improvement and change is needed. So we'll put a little link to their website, I'm In, in the episode description. We'll also put a little link to our previous episode, this research episode on this topic, if you want to do some broader listening. We really don't have a lot of time today, so that's you know this kind of short segment that we wanted to offer on this topic. But I did want to wrap up this short chat with a direct quote from the I'm In website. If every single organization working in and with music took action now, it could be game-changing for future generations. Are you in? Okay, so we're gonna move on to the main theme of our episode today, which is mental health in the opera industry. Yay! I'm gonna start off by talking about mental health in auditions. Yes, well, we all like auditions, don't we? Love we it. love them, uh, so calming, there's nothing Relaxing. stressful about them relaxed. at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I guess we would like to talk today about some tips and tricks that we have to combat these. So. One thing that we both do and that we both learn to do is visualization. Yeah, I love it. So hopefully you'll have more than, let's say, a day before your audition. Uh, so two to three weeks before, I will carve out 20 minutes to half an hour uh, and I will sit down and literally go through in my head, in silence, the entire audition scenario. Um, so whether I know the venue or not, whether I know the audition panel or not, I'm really imagining everything as much as I can. So, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I imagine that crucial five minutes before the stage door, you know, coming on from there or something. Um, and maybe a little person with a clipboard waiting to say, it's your turn now, Mr. Simpson, good luck. <laughs> um, yeah, I visualize that and how you know, what breathing am I going to do? What am I going to do? I, you know, am I going to do anything physical or am I going to maybe run through a couple of uh, tricky bits in my head or something of the piece I'm gonna sing? Uh, I then very clearly visualize walking into the room. How am I gonna walk? Am I gonna prance into the room? Uh, am I gonna cartwheel or yes. am I gonna, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's very important to know how I'm going to walk in and then the crucial, 30 seconds to a minute to a half hour of silence uh, before you actually start singing. Yeah. Once you've spoken to the pianist and you've decided things and told them all your cuts, um, uh, you, you know, that moment where you're just facing the panel, waiting to start. So visualize that as well. And then I visualize myself nailing the pieces. You know, singing through, oh, of course, nearly. Great. I don't know who laughed there with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, going through each one, uh, taking the time, listening to the, to the piano accompaniment in the background. You know, every single moment I visualize until the end, walking off as I would like to walk off, hopefully not in tears, you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing drastic <laughs> like that, wow. uh, until, until the door is shut and, and I'm done. Yeah. So really strong visualization. Yeah. 
And well, why do we do this? I don't really know. Why do we do this? I think we wanted to bring up visualization and we've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, Alex and I both certainly kind of suffer from quite severe anxiety and situations in which we face uh, higher levels of adrenaline can actually be really difficult if you have anxiety because um, I think you often see in sports situations, people that have a lot of adrenaline, it kind of brings out almost the best in them. It brings them to peak mm-hmm, performance. Mm-hmm. But say you suffer from anxiety or um, I know also with obsessive compulsive disorder, it's a similar situation. It's almost too much. And your inability now to focus because you're running at such a fast pace and such a fast speed, that adrenaline means going into an audition situation is almost kind of mental chaos. Yeah. So with that in mind, we're looking to try and relax the situation and where possible to impose a sense of control, like you're in control. So, okay, you might not know the exact room that you're gonna be walking into, but if you just give yourself this experience of walking into this audition situation, of having to register, of having to get changed, of having to warm up, of having to wait, and Mm. waiting in particular is some of the hardest parts of auditions. But if you give yourself that time to mentally go through it, and I really think what you're saying there, it's a discipline. So, I mean, when I started doing visualization, I was really quite lazy with it. And I kind of just sit in my room and be like, and it it doesn't work because you're not actually that focused about Mm. where you are in your head. And it really involves this discipline of walking yourself through every single part of the process. And certainly I think for both of us, we found it to be highly effective. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I, it's really I appreciate really it doesn't necessarily work for every single person. But I think, again, it's something that I find isn't actually talked about that often. Uh, you know, was, I read a book and it suggested it as, a, as an idea of kind of creating like a sense of mental focus. And so I was quite quickly like, all right, I'll give that a go. But again, we're just trying to raise some awareness of some hints and tips, things that can help in difficult situations, particularly if you're suffering from certain mental health conditions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And one thing it also does is, you know, I, during a visualization, I understandably feel a little bit nervous and uptight because I'm going through the motions of the nerve wracking audition, but by doing it sort of regularly and getting used to those nerves and feelings, it's like you've relived the day already 20 times by the time you get to the audition and you're like, yeah, and I kind of know how to handle these nerves now. Yeah. It really helps. 100%. Yeah. I wish I'd started doing it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> that's... So that's kind of like in the audition process. And then we also really briefly wanted to talk about the kind of post-audition process, uh, which would be the uh, rejection process. Um, and I think, you know, we're all singers here. We know we know what it's like. Uh, you're applying for hundreds and hundreds of things. And unsurprisingly, you're getting the hundreds, not me, but, um, Never. you know, you're getting Never. hundreds and hundreds of rejections. And how do we deal with these rejections? And I think, again, thinking about, you know, if you're having to kind of work with low self-esteem, if you're trying to deal with mental negative self-talk, when you get these rejection emails coming in, particularly if it's one of those terrible days and you're getting like three or four in a row, you're just like, what the hell is happening to me? Like, how do I cope with this, with this horrible, horrible feeling? Um, and I think what we wanted to suggest was journaling. And again, we've talked about this a fair bit on the podcast, but in particular, in relation to auditions, um, something we both practice is that we journal straight after an audition. So I don't know the outcome of it yet, but I want to write down exactly how I experienced it. So 
if I felt it went well, I'm going to write down a few things. So I was like, oh yeah, you know, these bars I felt were really musical. I handled the warm up process well, blah, blah, blah. I might have a couple of criticisms. I might write them down in, in, in the corner, but I've given myself like a summary of how I felt the experience when, and I feel that's really helpful because when the rejection email comes in, you can kind of look a bit more objectively at about how the audition went. Because often, unsurprisingly, a rejection colours the audition. Of course. You know, you just sit there and you're like, oh, oh shit, yeah, yeah brilliant. Um, when really sometimes it's helpful to kind of go back to my journal, to read through the audition and be like, okay, you know, I actually thought it went quite well. And like, there were a lot of things I learned about in that process. There were things I did well, there were things I didn't do so well, but it wasn't a complete car crash. I think it's it's also making, creating every audition scenario and learning from them. You know, each one we got to take something away from, good things, mm -hmm. in order to implement in the next one. So it just becomes like, well, this is my audition day set out. I know exactly what I'm going to do from 8am onwards. 5am. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. So early. Um, you know, so in, in the journaling, I will also jot down... Uh, oh, I arrived at a good amount of time before the audition, not two and a half hours before. before so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not too early. Uh, I'd eaten well before, you know, I hadn't had a curry for breakfast uh, and that had <laughs> worked out well. <laughs> so I'd, I'd had my half banana uh, like 15 minutes before going on stage. You're getting uh, a real insight into Alex's Crazy. <laughs> yeah. And um, all of those things, I will jot down and be like, yeah, I nailed all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is a practice that I'm going to take to the next audition. So, you know, we're learning from them. Yeah. And especially as a lot of the emails you get rejecting you will say, I'm terribly sorry, but due to the high volume of candidates, we're not going to give you any feedback at all. Yeah. Which is so frustrating because how on earth are we supposed to learn from them? Um, so what we're saying is, you know, take what you can from it. Yeah. Even, even if they're not giving us feedback, thanks. Yeah, um, it's like you're making your own feedback in that yeah, context. And yeah. as savage as that is, we have to be able to do that in order to keep moving forward, I think. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Alrighty. So now we're going to move on to uh, mental health in concert situations. Um, I mean, we were talking about how our mental health affects our concert process. And uh, I guess I'd like you to imagine the kind of pre-show five minutes. You know, you're backstage, you've got seven singers that are kind of just talking really fast they're warming up really loudly there's there's lots of things going on somebody's kind of calling your name over the tannoy you've forgotten to put your prop on the stage it's too much and again as we were mentioning before in terms of anxiety and that kind of thing sends our heads totally haywire and when you try and go out on stage with that kind of chaos it's really hard to give a I don't know, emotional you know in touch with yourself effective performance so Often Alex and I, or certainly I've learned to do this over the last kind of six, seven months, we'll take ourselves away to try and find a quiet space, whether that is a toilet or a broom cupboard or wherever it has to be, somewhere we can just take two to three minutes to bring ourselves into a place of kind of calm. And often I will go through in my head maybe really pertinent points in the performance, i.e. like I need to be at this place on the stage facing this way in order to catch the light right. I need to think about these four bars because I really want to get that shaping and phrasing just so. And I will have these four or five points in my head and I'm like, these are the things I'm aiming for in this show, opera, concert, whatever. And for me, that just puts me in the right frame of mind in order to give a performance that I enjoy 
actually, because I find, uh, we find, sometimes the chaos of backstage it really doesn't work for us at all, does it? I think you feel Yeah, I'm already, you know, I'm already hyperactive and highly strong enough. Yeah. I don't really need it to be enhanced <laughs> anymore, thanks very much. Yeah. And there, there is often that feeling of, you know, if you've worked together as a cast and you've really bonded and you've, you've been through ups and downs and now is opening night, it's so exciting. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's having a fun time. Uh, I know it feels really weird to be like, oh, but I'm not part of the team because I'm sitting in the corner and like, being quiet by myself. But, sorry, if I need that, that's what I need. Yeah. And we've all worked with, um, with colleagues who do just that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's yeah. great that you're doing that. And I really respect you for just, like, knowing what you need. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. about, like, setting boundaries, isn't it? Yeah. If you know that's what you need, then create those conditions for yeah, yourself. Exactly. But uh, we are also suckers, and we'll come to this in terms of social settings, we're suckers for joining in with the social element. And if everyone's really excited, uh, you just want to be in it. But it, certainly in what way we have to do for ourselves it's it's really detrimental yeah um another thing with concert settings that we'd like to talk about yeah. and actually auditions as well sort of any live performing is um this sort of constant negative self-talk yeah. that you have going through your head while you're performing so like well that was flat Good wasn't luck. it that was terrible oh the conductor oh gave you a look there you're obviously behind there and well you missed that didn't you and you've ruined your duet and that's great so everyone's <laughs> gonna boo you and remember that but this is constantly happening in my head while performing yeah. which is so distracting and Helen has suggested many books for me to read and I've, I've read lots of things and it doesn't help, so... Uh, they didn't help me either. Yeah, yeah so yeah. actually we'd really like to ask you guys to think of any hints and tips that you might have to, yeah. to let us know during the questions afterwards. Um, yeah, do you have any hints and tips to combat that negative self-talk, just to be in the moment on stage? That would be really helpful. Thanks, Thanks so much for doing our job. Thanks. <laughs> And then we wanted to talk a bit about post-concert, how you deal with the emotions and feelings afterwards. Again, kind of coming back into, well, I mean, it's this idea of negative self-talk, of this kind of, say you're feeling precarious in terms of your self-esteem. If you haven't given a performance that you feel happy with, that can be really, really hard to handle. And again, something that I have really tried to do and I have found beneficial is to try and not pass any judgment until I have seen some kind of recording or element of the performance. Um, because I've really learned now that how I feel and what is happening when I'm on stage is never what the audience is receiving. And there are so many times when I've come off stage and been like, that was a fucking car crash. <laughs> and I'm just like, just yeah. get me home and I will, I will deal with it, you know, later. But then somebody shows me a video of the concert and I'm like, all right. You know, it wasn't a total car. It was like two hours. Yeah, yeah. Not one out of ten. <laughs> so I, I'm attempting now to not pass judgment until I have seen or heard some kind of recorded element. And to the point that whenever I am performing now, I will arrange some kind of recording so that I can go through this process. And I have found it exceptionally helpful because... Yeah, it's, it's, performing is a really unusual situation. What you're delivering and how you're actually feeling and also then the commentary that's going on in the back of your head. There's so much happening at once. So to come off and be like, oh, that felt terrible. That must have been terrible. They must have hated it. It's quite a huge amount of judgment oh, yeah. to pass on what's actually happening. Yeah. And I think we've mentioned before in our episodes, um, 
particularly if somebody comes up and congratulates you on the performance afterwards. And if you're like, oh, it's terrible. Oh, no, no, please, it was awful. It's like, that's not really the, the you know, if they've come to congratulate you, it's, it's, it's important. like slapping them. Yeah, yeah it's, it's important to welcome them into that and be like, oh, thanks for coming. Thanks for enjoying it. And then you move on. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think we found kind of recording has been really helpful. Oh, yeah. And also, you know, taking a step back and seeing it as the bigger picture. Yeah. So obviously, you know your aria really well. And you know the bar 16. You know my top C is coming up and everything. <laughs> and I practiced it a thousand times. And if it goes well, if it doesn't go well, there is probably three and a half hours of the Handel Opera left for the audience to sit through. So they will not remember that one moment. Yeah. So just taking taking a step back and being like, well, in the, in the bigger, bigger picture, picture, actually, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, yes, I can learn from it, but I'm not going to really beat myself up about it. I think that's um, really important. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... And then finally, uh, we'll briefly talk about mental health in a social setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to you wanna take Let's this? Let's do it. Okay, so, well, <laughs> social settings can be varied, obviously. They could just be you and your pals, fine. Nice. You and your singer colleague pals, whatever. Nice. Um, uh, could be after rehearsal or something, maybe the director's there as well. It could be a networking event such as this, Ooh. you know, who knows. Um... I find it very useful before certain social settings just to take a moment to think, okay, uh, who and how, how do I want to present myself mm-hmm. in this social setting? Am I, hi, Alex Simpson, 30 at 30, wild, <laughs> crazy, so fun, or am I, so I'm Alexander Simpson, counter tenor, super professional. Um, there are there are times and places for both. I think we can agree. Guess which one I am today. Uh, yeah, just taking the moment to think. Okay, well, I'm kind of proud of where I am in terms of my singing career. Kind That's of. Fun. Kind of. I'm very proud. Let's be kind honest. Yes, <laughs> I'm kind of proud. So yeah, I can hold myself talking. I can go up to a certain director or casting director that I want to talk to and be like, yeah, hello, Th- hello, <laughs> hello, this is me, <laughs> here's my card, you know. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, um, just taking the moment to calm myself and not just let myself go and go crazy is really helpful. Yeah, again... <laughs> You know, for both of us, uh, it's overstimulating social mm. situations. And sometimes, again, it's that, as you say, I, I do the same. I try and take two minutes. It's not necessarily like uh, I'm putting on this facade and I'm going to be this person. It's more like, who am I? Who actually am I? Because I think often in social situations, we try and be whatever we need to be for this situation. Yeah. And we're so desperate to meet the right person, do the right thing, make the right connection, that we're compromising ourselves a little bit. So this two minutes beforehand is more of like, uh, who, who am I? And how am I presenting as myself today in whatever that social event might be? And I think you're totally right in, in the kind of two minutes before, if you want to take the time um but also like say if you're feeling a bit out of control during the event i mean i'm all for a toilet break and just taking two minutes to go have a breather think about you know how how are you (laughs) how is it going do you need to kind of just check in with yourself and then come back out and and keep enjoying the event as you as you wish well exactly and and to be able to 
make the most of an event. 100%. Um, because, wow, I've certainly been to lots of, let's call them events, I don't really know what else to call them, where you come away and you're like, well, didn't really talk to anyone in particular there, just sort of, yeah, yeah didn't, didn't really present myself quite how I wanted to. Yeah. I was sort of just like blabbering and letting myself run, run away off. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really good just to, you know, uh, it's work and you're in business brain. Yeah. You've got to be. A hundred percent. And actually, uh, coming up, we're about to release season three of Where's My Freaking Dressing Room. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And uh, in that, we're going to talk uh, in one particular episode about a book I read over the summer about creating your own luck. Um, I worry about myself. Um, but in this book, it did talk about social settings and the idea of rather than walking in with a very specific outcome and, you know, only spending that social setting, aiming for that one person or that one thing, often it's more fruitful to kind of just let things happen and see what transpires because I, I totally imagine that like the number of events I've gone to aiming for X and I've missed therefore Y, Z, this person, that person because I'm only aiming for that one thing. I think that will happen to, to me countless, countless mm -hmm. times. So just attempting more to like accept what's there rather than force what you want, I think is quite a, a beneficial way to kind of handle social situations. Yeah, do listen to that app when it comes out. It's not as boring as Helen makes it sound. Oh I my promise. God. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, I think, I, well, we have time, don't we? Let's, should we also Hello. talk about social media? We just briefly want us to talk about yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to put my hand up. Uh, so the pod has recently started TikTok. Exciting. Fun. No, I find it so, <laughs> so unbelievably stressful. Yes. Um, and yeah, I, we're both... Well, I think maybe me even more so than you. We do both struggle. Yeah, yeah. I just find it, you know, opening Instagram, or um, <laughs> just thinking of it and, and seeing like, I'm like, oh, great concert today, blah, 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 and yeah. everyone doing doing what they're doing. Yeah. It's amazing what they're doing and everything, and it's it just makes me feel a bit sick. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I what's stress. crazy is, like, the number of people you talk to, and we all say this, though. We're like, oh, God, I hate TikTok. Instagram. I hate TikTok. And then we're just there, like, pushing content onto it. And I... I suppose, again, this was the second question that we wanted to bring out to you as the audience. How do you handle social media? Do you have a way of using it and being like, this is part of the job and I, I do the job and I leave it there? Or do you, you know, enjoy actually interacting with it? Because I know there are some people that love it and, yeah. and that's great. But I suppose my question is like, is it for everyone? And if it's having a detrimental effect on the mental health of some people, is it something we all have to have? And I know that that's something they're talking about at the conference this afternoon. I'm curious as to how important the presence on Instagram, the presence on TikTok is for a young singer in, yeah. in this industry. This have moment. you got any work through um, your socials? Yeah. It'd be really interesting to hear. I haven't. Shock. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, um, I think that's everything though. Yeah, so we did it. we would love to open the floor to questions yes. now, please. Whoa, so many hands up in the air for all Stop those it. listeners. Oh oh, wow. I love it. We didn't manage to catch that first question there on the microphone, but uh, they were asking essentially, how do we manage mental health in terms of a portfolio career? If we've got lots of different things going on, how do we kind of keep all the plates spinning and keep ourselves, you know, in good mental health? So I find it really helps having a portfolio career for my mental health because if I don't get a certain role or audition that I went for, it's not the end of the world because I have the other strings to my bow to fall back on. And I enjoy 
building them at the same time as building the singing. Yeah. And yeah, it can sometimes get overwhelming because suddenly you get a role or something or you get a big... I don't know, I do a lot of tutoring, so a lot of tutoring opportunities or something is like, ah, I don't have time now, this stupid podcast is getting in the way. <laughs> Joke, it never does. <laughs> really? um, so, yeah, it's tricky, and, uh, you know, mental health, in order to find a balance, because it does sometimes splurge over, and yeah. I have weeks of mentalness, but I'm also extremely careful to plan time off. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, we're lucky because we're in charge of our schedules. I think that's what I was going to say about our portfolio career. One of the things I like about it is that often all of the things I'm doing, I do have some partial control over and I'm open enough with everybody I'm working with that they all know I've done, I'm, well, I'm doing six yeah. other things. So if one thing becomes too overwhelming, I'll try and talk to the rest and be like, this takes priority for X amount of time and then I can kind of apportion my time as necessary. I appreciate that doesn't happen all the time. And yeah, sometimes it does splurge over. But I also think that's that's not just a portfolio career. I think that's life. And it's like going with the ebb and flow of it. Like there's points where it's all in balance. There's points where it's a touch chaotic. And just kind of accepting that that's, that's the way this kind of thing works. I like you being open with everyone about everything you're doing as well. I think that's really yeah. important. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually think in a portfolio career, you don't have much of a choice because you can't give all of your time to the one thing. You're doing the six or seven, mm. so they just need to know that you're spinning a lot of plates. And for some people, spinning a lot of plates, I think we both like that. It's quite oh, yeah. stimulating. It's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I appreciate that's not for everybody. So it's, it's about knowing your limits, I think, as well. And then the second part of the question, so in terms of how do we feel about mental health going forward? How's that going to work for us? Yeah. Um, I am passionate about reading and learning or so i do recommend a lot of books to alex because i, I don't read them yeah but i <laughs> i am curious as to also i'm often reading a lot of sports psychology because i think sports psychology is maybe 20 30 years even 50 than what we're doing in musical performance psychology so i try and think about the ways it sounds ridiculous but like gareth southgate in the england football team he really cares about those players the, the mental health and well-being of those players he shipped in art into the hotel of like the previous World Cup because he wanted them to feel relaxed, at home, inspired, whatever. Imagine. And this kind of thing really interests me because I'm like, is there a way of us thinking about our industry in those terms? Now, I know we don't have the infrastructure. I know we don't have the billions of trillions of pounds to just, you know, ship in people and coaches and whatever. But I hope that if, certainly from our end, if we can think about the mental health of our industry in the way that sports psychology thinks about the mental health of their uh, sports people, um, I suppose I think that's like a good, a good start. Anybody else? Hi, I just have some thoughts on the social media thing and I'm yeah. interested in your, this is really helpful and interesting, so thank you so much and very relatable. Personally, I got rid of all my socials like a year or two ago. And it's honestly made a massive difference to my life. Um, I couldn't kind of find a way after so much trying to like regulate how it made me feel, how much time I spent. I just, yeah. for some reason, couldn't manage it. So I kind of wanted to test getting rid. And I don't think so far it's made any difference to anything except a positive difference to pretty much every aspect of my life. So I would highly recommend even just a trial period um, but also, do you think that is like, you know, I mean, I'm early stages at the moment, but if I keep going well, 
I'm thinking, you know, maybe one does have to have a presence at some point. What do you have any kind of thoughts on that? You know, if you don't have an agent to do it for you or, you know. Yeah, quite. We are using social media for the podcast and I'm testing how much I can kind of see social media as part of the job. So I'll apportion X number of hours a week to managing the social media for the podcast. And I would say something that's good with social media now is on almost all platforms, you can schedule ahead. So it's not really a case of me actually interacting with the app that much. It's scheduling the posts and making sure they're coming out at relevant times and then I've done it for the week. Now, I know on things like Twitter, it's not as good because you kind of need to be having active conversation. But I suppose from my end, that's, uh, I, I don't mind. And kind of as you say, like, yeah, I, I find it really difficult to, to be on the platforms all the time. It makes me feel like I'm not in reality, actually. Yeah. So I'm, I try with the scheduling of the podcast to keep it as like at arm's length as I can. Also, it's what, what does like a presence on social media mean? You know, is it like... Here's a picture of my Messiah score. Whoop. Or, <laughs> um, or, or is it, or are you sharing articles that interest you, or are you, you know, commenting on various political events or something? Mm. You know, you, I think, uh, do what you're most comfortable doing and sharing online. I think, well, again, it's something that I tried, <laughs> uh, but I'm just, I just hate it full stop, so it's not very helpful. But as in, just picking, okay, well I am interested in history. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share articles or share things related to my interests and passions rather than just music and work related because that is a part of me as a person and if someone hires me uh, for a role, that's gonna play a part in the way I stage that role. Because mm. it's it's all of my personality combined. So yeah, I guess deciding what your presence really is yeah any others uh you talked a bit about how after particular auditions um your journal and that will help you through that particular experience but just wondering especially as we go into audition season how do you stay motivated through a period of like real um sort of difficulty and and continual auditioning and potentially hopefully not continual rejection mm -hmm. yeah how Something yeah, that I have learned to do, <laughs> yeah, is um, park it, park it for later. Last year or something, it was one on Wednesday, one no, one on Monday, one on Wednesday, one on Thursday, and I just can't. I just didn't have the headspace to think about. Once I'd written it down after the Monday one, I was like, "That's parked." I really can't think about that anymore, and that's so hard to do, obviously. Because how do you get out of your head and be like, well, Monday went badly, so Wednesday's going to go badly as well, isn't yeah. it? And that's not very helpful. But the more that I could just... The act of writing it down and shutting the book was really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's like, that's past now to Wednesday. Yeah. I also would say in terms of staying motivated, auditions are some of the hardest work that we have to do in this industry. And as difficult and testy... Uh, as those moments are, they, in many ways, I don't want to say they like make you a better singer, but I do think if you're able to go in, face a fierce audition panel and give a performance that you are actually, you know, you're like, that really wasn't half bad. That is a massive learning process. Going through auditions, you learn so much about your craft. Yeah. I really do think that. And it's, it's I suppose, looking towards, because you're right, we're about to hit audition season again. 
is there something you can look forward to post that point that could kind of drive you through that that period whether that is a Christmas break with with friends whether that is a creative project you have coming up in the new year whether it's something completely unrelated like an exhibition you're just like wow that's gonna really get me mm. through the next six mm. weeks um uh, but I also would would say that we admit it's really tough uh, and I, I don't think there's any point lying about it no. it's it's absolutely savage and brutal so I think it's also a case of having good people around you that can support you through what is going to be a, a difficult part of the process and take up a huge amount of your thought space and energy so mm. I, I think that's as important as like how do you motivate your way through it yeah fine life. also one last thing sorry um, is yeah. you know hopefully your audition bag is pieces that you really love to sing so kind of look forward to as Hermione Granger says exams are a chance to show off and enjoy uh, <laughs> sorry uh, but you that's know that's the worst thing you've ever said yeah <laughs> it really is um, but just be like yeah I really do love this with Aria yeah. and I yeah they might hate it but <laughs> I, I know that I practice it enough it's in my body yeah um, I, I just love singing it so yeah. that's what I'm going to aim to do I'm just going to enjoy myself yeah yeah just quickly, do you have time for one question from social media? Just one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, who is your greatest non-musical inspiration? <laughs> um, I'm going to say, and I genuinely stand by this, Matthew McConaughey is one of my like inspirations. And I'll tell you for why. Um, Matthew McConaughey like started as like this kind of you know uh, cute guy doing all like the rom-com films, and actually he never wanted to do those. He wanted to be a really really serious actor. But when he went to his like initial agent, they were like. This is obviously where you're at, and this is obviously who you'll be for the rest of your life. And so his his game plan was like, I will push through these crappy little rom-coms, I will make the money I need to make, and then I will push myself to a point where I can make the serious films that I want to be a part of. And I really, I really think, you know, when you see him in things like Dallas Buyers Club or like Wolf of Wall Street, I mean these crazy roles, these really uh, particularly Dallas Buyers Club is such a brutal role. When I saw it, I was like, gosh, I never knew. Matthew McConaughey was that kind of actor. And I'm not saying that that's like me, but I really think sometimes we have to take roles that perhaps we don't want, sometimes we have to do gigs that perhaps we don't want, but if we have an idea that we're aiming for, like a, a pathway in our career that we're looking towards, then maybe there's you know ways of us using the places that we're at and what we're doing to, to drive to that end goal. Thanks, Matthew McConaughey. That's very lovely, well Are you gonna say yours? Well, I had thought of someone, but it's a bit out there, sorry. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm obsessed with ancient Egypt, always have been. Uh, and the, the pharaoh Akhenaten, he literally, like, hey, <laughs> wait for this. He, he totally, like, erased uh, the gods and, and all the deities that Egypt had already for a thousand of years. He just erased them and he was like, worship me instead. Yeah. Uh, he moved the capital. So he, built a new, <laughs> he built a new city, uh, moved the capital to this place called Artans for his worship. Uh, and I guess he's sort of my hero <laughs> in the sense that <laughs> he, he had a vision and he pushed for that vision. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he wow, he moved an entire country in a certain direction. Yes, it all fell apart when he was murdered. Great. Uh, but he, he backed himself. Uh, uh, we love that. Yeah, yeah it, uh, you know, he just pursued what he wanted, and that, that's what I tried to do. So if you see any statues of me on the road, yeah, that's the <laughs> Amazing. I think that's that for our episode. So thank you so much for coming. We've been Where's My Freaking Dressing Room. Woo!